Hello and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. Dr. Layla Strickland is the co-founder and chief scientific officer of Biomilk, a women-owned, science-led, and parent-centered infant nutrition company based in Durham, North Carolina. With her co-founder, Michelle Egger, Dr. Strickland is disrupting the over $65 billion infant formula market through culturing mammary gland cells in a lab. Despite its recent formation in January 2020, Biomilk has caught the eye of Bill Gates, who bought a $3.5 million stake in June 2020, as well as Breakthrough Energy Ventures, composed of investors such as Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Ma, and Michael Bloomberg. In June 2021, the company announced that they have successfully made the world's first cell-cultured human milk from mammary cells outside of the breast. Their 100% human milk contains the majority of nutritional complexities of breast milk with the practicality of formula. Well, Leila, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's a pleasure to have, um, have you with us. Um, and. Um, your journey has been very inspiring um, to follow for us, and we look forward to hearing about all the twists and turns of your path um, as a scientific co-founder and also a proponent of, of cellular agriculture for breast milk production, um, which we would love to learn more about. Um, could you tell us the story that led you to start Biomilk? Sure. It's a, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess it's best to start just with my background. I am trained as a cell biologist, so I did my PhD at Boston College and um, from there went to Stanford and spent a few years on a postdoctoral fellowship there. And always as an academic researcher was interested in uh, cell behavior and how cells control different processes in space and was really interested um, really in how cells arrange all of their parts in order to accomplish specific tasks such as cell division or secretion of a interesting product. Um, so I had this very fundamental basic science background um, and and in, uh, in 2009, actually coinciding with the sort of end of my postdoctoral fellowship, I also at the same time became a mom and delivered my son that fall. And so was undertaking my first experience with breastfeeding um, at the time that I was also thinking about sort of career transition and what I wanted to do next. Um, and so, and then and the other th third component of it is that I uh, was, out in the Bay Area and starting to get exposed to uh, some just interesting ideas about some of the expanded possible applications for cell culture, which I had learned in my own training, uh, mammalian cell culture and growing cells and tissues outside of the body and, and mainly used as a biomedical research model. But uh, at, at this time I was starting to hear about people interested in the possibility of making food from cells. So you could grow muscle cells, for example, to make meat or maybe skin to make leather. And I wasn't aware of anybody who was at the time talking about uh, you know, another important animal derived product, milk, um, and how you could maybe use cell biology to make that product outside the body. 
So at the same time, I was kind of finishing up my postdoctoral research, trying to breastfeed my son and having a lot of trouble with that process and a lot of just frustration and, um, and starting to just get the wheels turning on the possibility of using cell culture to make uh, you know, food products. And that all kind of just sort of incubated in my mind for a while. I ended up going to work doing, um, uh, going towards scientific communications. I worked in scholarly publishing for a couple of years after my postdoc, I was an, uh, an academic editor. Um, it gave me a lot of flexibility at that time in my life. As a new mom, I could work from home. Uh, so I was able to, to kind of structure my own schedule around, around the editing work I was doing. But sort of the side effect of that work is that I was, um, I was editing scientific papers from authors all around the world in all different fields. And I got exposed to a much, much wider breadth of research than I ever would have been as an academic in my own very small corner of the world. So I think that that period where I was editing all those academic papers um, just started to expose me to a whole, a whole range of things that that I just wouldn't have ever encountered uh, otherwise. And um, always following along with the development of this story about, about possibly making food from cells. And um, in 2013, I guess there was a, a press conference where a professor, Mark Post at Maastricht University um, in the Netherlands had, had fashioned the world's first hamburger out of cultured muscle cells and that uh, was consumed on television and I remember watching the the press conference where that happened and just being blown away that wow they've actually done it now we're making we're making edible cells and uh, it was a really just inspiring moment to see it actually come to fruition um, and I had been my husband and I had been talking about uh, you know following along just on this, uh, just following along the story and the development of this technology and had always been talking about, you know, things that you could use to, things you could use cells to make um, was a, just an interesting topic for us to, to brainstorm on. And we, um, and I had had this, started to think more about the cells that make milk and had a, an idea of sort of what the requirements of a system would need to be in order to do that. And so when we saw the, the press conference about the hamburger, we were excited enough that we decided to lease a lab space. Um, we were in North Carolina by this time. So in the research triangle area, uh, we're able to lease a very small lab space and buy a little bit of equipment um, cobbled together used pieces of equipment from eBay, just the basics, bare bones of what you need to grow cells. Um, I had never grown mammary epithelial cells before. The cell type I was particularly after, I'd been reading about them by this time for years, but had not gotten my hands on them. And so the first thing to do was just start growing them. Um, we would go, had to go out to the slaughterhouse to get tissue from uh, bovine udders. We were uh, growing cow cells at first because 
commercially available cell lines were sort of beyond this personal budget that we had put together to support this work. And so I was going out to the slaughterhouse to get uh, to get udders and um, bringing them back to the lab and preparing those to grow cells out of them. And then spent really between 2013 and 2016 just learning how to manipulate those cells and culture and playing around with what conditions they like to grow in and really kind of sort of simultaneously learning myself how to grow these cells, but also just exploring the possible ways that you could, you could um, manipulate them because I knew that in order to make milk, you would need to grow a very large number of cells, far more cells than what these benchtop, you know, sort of biomedical research oriented cell culture systems could ever accomplish. And so at the same time, uh, do, you know, playing with the cells, we were, I was also thinking about what kind of system you would need in order to scale this up and what, what characteristics it would need to have. And, um, and so that was ongoing until about 2016. Um, and I think I was so focused in the cell biology and growing the cells and and had just such a huge sense of the possible implications for what it would mean if you could make milk of any species of any kind outside the body. So right. it was it was, you know, we were thinking about human milk, but also thinking about bovine milk and replacing animals in the food supply uh, with cell based products. And so the, just uh, had had spent a lot of time thinking about the implications for this technology. And Really, by 2016, we were out of money to support this, honestly, and I didn't have any sort of entrepreneurial background or experience, or I had never even worked in industry before, and so I, I had no idea really how to even talk about this as a business or as a as a, as a, how to even hone in or narrow down the conversation of what would what applications of this would would you develop or mm -hmm. or take it further in that direction and and at the same time I was also just starting to really burn out frankly I became aware of an organization called New Harvest which is an organization that supports cellular agriculture basically uh, bring brings different groups together in that field and it was really inspiring to get to know that group um, I went to their conference uh, but. I wasn't able to, uh, besides them, everyone else I would try to talk to about my ideas just thought uh, it was crazy. And so there, I think there wasn't a lot of uh, reception for what I was doing or what I was interested in. I think there was a lot of you know, doubt about the technology um, and, and kind of an unwillingness to think about um, what it would really mean if, you, if, this, if this were something that could work one or two people in my personal life who knew about the the work uh, with the mammary cells and were interested in it and had always kind of urged me to uh, take it back up if possible because it seemed like you know what had been happening it, it, over time is that a lot of these early companies in cellular agriculture were really starting to pick up steam uh, so you know from 20 in the, you know 2015 or so now to getting to 20 
2019, there had been some really major successes with some of these companies and they had attracted a lot more attention into the field and started to, I think, uh, just build an awareness of the possibility that maybe this is a direction we could go or is worth worth trying. Um, and so I uh, sort of with, with that urging from a few friends in my life uh, decided, well, you know, maybe we'll start trying to figure out how to how to talk about this and get some support for it. I knew, I knew it was beyond my ability to self fund. As I, you know, I knew I had taken it as far as I could on my own on my own resources and needed mm -hmm. to attract funding to it. And so um, that was where the idea to become a startup and uh, and approach VC uh, was was sort of born in 2019. Definitely. And I think that segues well into our next question uh, regarding meeting your co-founder, uh, Michelle, and what she sort of brought uh, to Biomilk, from my understanding, was uh, her background in food sciences and her work at the Gates Foundation and kind of a business perspective to really getting this off the ground. Could you share with us how you met Michelle and how you both, I guess, combined minds and, and brought Biomilk to life? Yeah, Michelle. Um, so Michelle and I were introduced by a mutual friend who was interested in sort of the alt protein landscape and food technology in general, cellular agriculture, making food from cells. Um, just a friend of, our, of both of ours who was interested in that area um, had, was the one who, who put us together, uh, sort of saw the overlap of our interests and, and backgrounds. And um, at the time, I'd actually been interested in starting, I had already, I think, sort of recommitted myself to trying to start a company around this technology that had been prompted by, um, as I was saying, just some, uh, you know, people in my personal life encour encouraging me that, you know, this is the time you should give it a shot, just go out there and see what you can do, see what you can, what, what, how people respond uh, at this time, rather than five years ago, say. Um, and so I, and, uh, along with a couple of other friends uh, who also had cell bi or had biology backgrounds, um, we thought we were going to start a company around this and and take it take it forward. Uh, but it turned out it kind of comes back to that sort of overlapping skill sets where these were these were two other biologists who had all the same knowledge and background that I did, but didn't we we still had massive gaps and deficits in what we knew how to do. And we found just the process, the actual logistics and mechanics of starting the company um, and creating the entity and figuring out all, all the things that go into that were just um, really overwhelming and, and stopped us in our tracks pretty quickly actually. But uh, at the same time, I had I had met Michelle months earlier and she had kind of always been in the background as somebody who I knew, you know, we were, she was interested, we had the overlapping interests in, in milk and infant nutrition. And um, she had this, you know, background in food science and dairy. And, and it just seemed like, uh, at some point it became really clear that actually like Michelle is the right person to, to join with on this. Um, do you think, uh, Layla, you could walk us through how you culture these mammary cells from, you know, where they're sourced? You did allude to cow udders, uh, but perhaps now how you make use of uh, epithelial mammary cells from Yes, breast cancer research operations and how you go about processing uh, this breast milk. 
Yeah, well, uh, this is my favorite part. You're right. <laughs> um, we So culturing memory epithelial cells is something that's been done for, for quite some time. We've been doing this for decades. Um, they are human memory epithelial cells are commonly used as a model for breast cancer research. Um, Animal mammary epithelial cells are, are what we tend to use for lac, uh, milk biosynthesis studies. So there's been a lot of work done in animal science and uh, in, in livestock species to understand really the nuts and bolts of how does milk get made and, and secreted. And so we're kind of always at the interface of, of those two disciplines, kind of looking at human at, at the animal science studies for hypotheses that then we can translate into human cells because there are some real gaps in the literature um, around, around milk synthesis in human mammary epithelial cells. So we take the animal literature, we translate it into the human, and then we're drawing a lot from regenerative medicine and a lot of the advancement that's been done in tissue engineering, um, mainly because, as I alluded to before, we know that you have to grow a vast number of these cells in order to produce uh, a relevant amount of the product. Really, the thing that controls how much you can make has to do with how many cells you can support. And so for that reason, really, you need a three-dimensional system in order to get a very high surface area because this is a cell that needs to attach onto a surface in order to function. Um, and so you need a, you need a three-dimensional three system where the cells can attach um, and it needs to have as, as high a, of, as possible of a surface area to volume ratio uh, where you have a, a very large amount of surface to grow cells on and you can use the minimal amount of cell culture media, which is the nutrient mix that the cells, that provides the cells everything they need to, to do their job. Um, and and it's, it's cell culture media that is, is typically quite expensive and, and prohibitively expensive at this stage for a commercial product. So, um, you know, cell culture media includes uh, a lot of nutrients, uh, proteins and carbohydrates, vitamins, minerals. Um, it also includes a lot of bioactive factors, growth factors, hormones, cytokines, things that, that actually affect cell behavior. Um, and those are necessary for, for our process because those are the, the cues that tell the cells what to do. And, um, and those tend to be the very costly ingredients in cell culture media. So a lot of our work is focused on, on, um, on figuring out how to actually make some of those co components or obtain them at a large scale for, for less expensive. But so you have, you, you want to grow your cells in a very, a complex, three-dimensionally complex environment so that you can have this high surface area to volume ratio. Um, we know that the cells, um, this, this particular type of cell is, and really uh, as a function of epithelial cells in general, this cell type throughout the body in any, in, in any organ or tissue system in, or system in your body, you have an epithelial lining, a, a layer of cells that encases that system and, um, and, and regulates the environment for that fu function. And so these cells in the body live uh, right, at the, right at the interface between the mother's blood supply between her circulation and the interior compartment of the mammary gland. And they absorb nutrients from her blood supply. They 
convert all of those nutrients into the components of milk. They synthesize uh, thousands of unique molecules uh, that are present in milk. And then they secrete those molecules into the mammary gland until it's removed from the breast or the mammary gland uh, for feeding an infant. And our system really replicates that biology. It gives the cells you know, the surface to hold onto, which is sort of like that internal surface of the mammary gland. Um, and then we feed them cell culture media, which is analogous to the mother's blood supply. They undergo all of the metabolism to create milk, secreted out into a separate compartment uh, within our system so that, uh, so that that product that they make never intermixes with the, the media that we feed the cells. And that, um, that really simulates actually the way that it happens in the body. Where do you see biomilk in maybe 10 to 20 years down the line? What do you think is the target customer if you had to select one use case for the company right now? Oh, it's, uh, it's fun to think that far out because, <laughs> because by that point, we can just assume that, that everything has been fully successful <laughs> and, we've, and we've, gotten, we've gotten exactly where we want to be, which is that, you know, I really, I, it's really important to me that long-term we're developing this product as a product that's going to be accessible to any baby anywhere that needs it. And so that includes the developing world and in the developing world or the developed world and the developing world. Um, you know, different, very different markets and different market needs, um, a, a diversity of different different challenges in, in different parts of the world. But um, I, I ultimately think that if, if the technology is a success and we're able to scale this product and it's better for babies than bovine-based infant formula, then I would want to get it into the hands of every, get it into the mouths and bellies of every, every baby who needs it really. Um, uh, I could imagine, you know, I think we think a lot about, we get asked a lot and think a lot about, you know, how are we going to launch this product and how, who is going to be our first customer and how are we going to go to market? Um, but I like, I enjoy thinking sort of beyond that as we get to increasing levels of scale and bring down the price further and further and are able to, to get the product into, um, you know, I see it as both in the sort of in the developed world, I can see this as a product that would have a major impact for uh, working moms, working parents um, all, all over, the, all over the, the country or in Europe. I, I really would love to be able to, um, to bring the cost of the product down enough and find, enough, find creative ways to get it into the marketplace that would allow uh, across sort of the economic strata in the, in the developed world to be able to access the product. What do you think the implications of your invention is for say uh, organ transplantation or wound healing or this idea of you know, broadly building back our body uh, and, and using your technology as a platform to I guess re revitalize the way we think about regenerative medicine? Yeah. Uh, besides that, you know, that apparent innovation, do you see any reservation or particular issues that may surround this? Um, yeah, I, it's, it's really interesting. You know, like I said, we, we take a lot of, we've learned a lot from the field of regenerative medicine, particularly the bio artificial kidney is, um, 
it, it is actually a pretty similar organ to the mammary gland in some ways related to, to how the cells are grown and organized. And so we've, we've taken a lot from that field to, under, to understand how to, how to create what we're creating. Um, uh, and there are, <laughs> as we get even further into the future, I suppose there, you know, there, there, there's long been uh, an interest in sort of organ culture and or culture of organ replacements. And I think, you know, there, there are, um, honestly, I think there's a, an ethical imperative to pursue these technologies. I think that um, we have the likely ability as we as we get more serious and continue to uh, scale up cell culture and get increasingly complex cell culture models understand cell behavior at increasingly complex depths um, I think we'll have in increased ability to resolve uh, resolve diseases and um, you know resolve suffering for people and that to me, to me is a ethical imperative that we, we pursue those, those technologies. I agree. And I think it kind of also the, the fact that sustainability is in the discussion of biomilk and this idea of utilizing what we already have, as opposed to say, you know, 3D printing or, you know, uh, using products that are allergenic um, might actually contribute to our overall ecological footprint. But it is an art and it's continuously developing. And you know, even if you consider organ donation, you could literally increase accessibility for organ transplants across the board if you had uh, the ability to, to create and, and build organs and kind of mimic this technology. Of course, you would have to consider uh, additional types of cells in a, in a larger organ and there would be more nuances to navigate. But I think having this proof of concept is just a game changer. Yeah. One of the things I would say to, to add to that is that, you know, this field of cellular agriculture is to this point being largely developed by small companies that are all working on proprietary technologies and not federally funded grants making publicly available information. And so one of the concerns I have is that and in, in these startups, such as my own, <laughs> we're, we're all driving forward very basic science to try to translate this complex uh, tissue engineering challenge. And I would love to see more of that work supported at universities um, on, on publicly funded money. Um, because I know that that the startup world and the biotech world in general is not where is not where innovation gets gets shared and spread around. And I, I would love to see more public resources going to this kind of work. What do you think is the next milestone or something you look forward to uh, for Biomilk, uh, say in 2021? What are you guys looking forward to, to having complete or working yeah. on? We're really focused right now on getting a, a complete definition of our product and so and, and, and understanding our ability to control that defined composition. Um, and that's that's really the theme of our tech technology development this year is, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of uh, really in-depth studies on all the molecules and their activities that are present in our products. Um, and then beyond that, moving towards really thinking about how about scaling and thinking about, you know, what does a facility look like where we're running enough units to actually make make a product that could could feed 
numbers of people. <laughs> um, so yeah, starting to transition over the, through the course of this year from defining the product into scaling it. Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at ThiaHC, and on our website at ThiaHC.org for more content and to join our vibrant community of young professionals, entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders in healthcare. Special thanks to our amazing audio editors, Ellie Park, Asim Jain, Nikita Gupta, and Katie Donahue. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting our podcast by donating at anchor.fm slash thea-hc slash support.